0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll finish up this evening, the uh, first, we'll finish up the first part of the Paramatma Sandhava dealing with the nature of Paramatma specifically. Continue on to a discourse of the second feature of Paramatma within the material cosmos, one of his manifestations, the Tattvasa shakti, the Jivatma. In the last 17th Anucheta, it was made clear that the appellations or the nomenclatures for Shiva, specifically the nomenclature Sad Shiva, and generally when we hear this terminology Sad Shiva, Shiva of course has many manifestations generally this sad Shiva is referring to Shiva's manifestation within the transcendental realm, the power of Yom. So there's a Shiva that has a residence there and we're somewhat familiar with that from the uh, descriptions uh, given by Sanatan Goswami in his uh, Brihat Bhagavatamrita in the second part wherein Gopakumara is gradually going from one level of Exposure to Krishna's different devo- devotees. Some would say one level of spiritual consciousness to another in a successively higher state of awareness of the devotees and of the Supreme. So we notice at one point, when he enters into the spiritual realm, prior to that, he he, he was in the material shell of the universe and he was experiencing, well, it was quite, Enjoyable; those purely manifest in his consciousness as he, in the narration, is uh, portrayed as traveling through the the coverings of the universe. There's some explanation there of his experience of those different coverings, followed by his experience of what would be the effulgence of Vaikuntha, wherein he he was very much attracted to that effulgence he practically lost himself but he didn't (laughs) but he gave some indication as to how enjoyable it was for the self to, to be immersed in nothing but the spiritual effulgence and then there's a description of his going to Shiva's transcendental abode so the Shiva that resides over that abode is referred to as Sad Shiva. Now there's also the Shiva which resides over the mode of ignorance within the material realm, uh considered to be what? The son of Brahma, a direct offspring from Brahma. From Brahma's anger came Shiva. So this seventeenth Anucheta is kind of wrapping it up. And what it's wrapping up is Jiva is showing beyond any shadow of a doubt that if we look at the Guna avatars that Vishnu is, is the topmost and he's, he is the supreme personality. And any time we find in scripture like in the verses quoted in this Anucheta, in reference to Sad Shiva or Shiva, that Shiva is the supreme, you have to look at the context and you have to look at the nature of that particular scripture. Who, who is the intended audience of that scripture? Because there are scriptures that are developed for people in the mode of ignorance. There are scriptures for people in the mode of passion and there are the sattvic scriptures. And the sattvic scriptures of course are the highest. But above the shastric, above all the shastras that deal with people who are within the modes of material nature, we also have the bhakti shastras which deal with those people that want the highest conception. And we see from the Sandharva that when we look at all these scriptures and put them in their proper place, all these scriptures are praising the Bhagavat Purana. So therefore the Vaishnavas are accepting the Bhagavat Purana as the topmost Praman or spiritual evidence when it comes to the Sambandha, the Abhideya, and the Prayojan of Bhakti. So Jiva's done a a masterful job here in in showing that uh, I mean ultimately Vasudeva is everything Vasudeva Sarvamiti that's from the Gita itself so whenever we hear that Shiva is Bhagavan Shiva is the Purusha we need to see that you know what is the context because ultimately well, you can say that because, well, Vasudeva is everything, so when that kind of a statement is made, it's okay. But there's never a mention that Bhagavan or the Purusha is Sad Shiva. So in the commentary here, I want to go over a couple things. An ob- objection could be raised. In the verse spoken by Kashyapa to Diti, Srimad Bhagavatam, third canto. And cited here, Bhagavan Shiva is described as supreme, as the cause of the universe, and the master of gods like Brahma. So Jiva says, Well, let's look at the context. Kashyapa is speaking to his wife. And he's saying, Shiva, who's in charge of the mode of ignorance, you don't want to offend him. I realize that you really want to you're kind of lusty right now at this time of day but this is Shiva's time of day and Shiva's supreme. Do you really want to offend the supreme God with your lustfulness? Why can't we just wait? If you can wait, that would be best best in this regard. Of course we know the outcome. Jiva Goswami said don't look at it as a misstatement, but rather look at the context of when the Mm -hmm. statement was made that Shiva, I mean here's know, saying that Shiva is supreme, what, he's trying to get a point across here to his wife, Mm -hmm. that's the context, so Kashyapa spoke this verse to his wife Diti to dissuade her from cohabitating with him at the inappropriate time. He was decidedly trying to impress upon her the perilous repercussions of such an untimely act, so that she would give up the irreligious thought. In that moment, Kashyapa was certainly not expounding in a formal way the superiority of Shiva over Vishnu. It is important to keep the context in mind while interpreting scripture. A further objection could be raised. When the devas and asuras churned the milk ocean, a deadly poison came out. The poison posed a threat to the universe, and so the devas asked Bhagavan Shiva to drink it and bring it under control. Bhagavan Shiva, could you please drink this poison that's come from our churning the ocean? Now, did that mean that they don't know that who actually is the supreme and who bhagavan is in their prayers to him the god stated that shiva is beyond brahma and vishnu why why would they speak that way i mean these are you know great personalities uh, masters of the masters of the universe not the three master masters but they're the second second level down of of, of uh, universal administration. Indra's in charge of the rain, and Agni's in charge of the fire. So I mean, it's not that these are not they're they're respectable personalities. They have very responsible positions within the universal uh, arrangement of things. So why would they say such a statement? Again, what's the circumstance? The circumstance is and it's explained as follows, that they wanted Shiva to take up a, an extraordinary task. I mean, to drink an ocean of, of poison is, is quite a quite daunting. Well, what do bards do when they wake the king every day? Praise him. They praise him. They praise him. Maybe they even kind of overpraise him. He ha- he's dealing continually with Even within his own court, people within his own court sometimes would like to do away with him. So the bards are there, get up, come on, you're the king, nobody can stand in your way, no one can defeat you, no one can interfere with you in any way. Jiva makes that point, that really what was going on there is she was being praised because he was being requested to do something extraordinary out of the ordinary something there's a couple of good points in the in the commentary the power of the gods increases when they are glorified what this means is that a person becomes enthusiastic to attempt even a daunting task if praised his power doesn't really increase but his enthusiasm increases praise does not provide any ex- real extra power to a person, but simply enthuses him. It is for this reason that kings are praised by the bards. In modern times, even today, what do we have? Go to any athletic event, you go to a football game, you got the cheerleaders, you know. Come on. Rah, rah, shishkum bah. we're going to beat So get out there and fight. Psychologists advise their patients. What do they say? Uh, Don't criticize your children. You'll you'll, you'll thwart their their emotional growth. Motivational speakers are, are telling you to be all that you can be. Think positively. So these are nice examples given here in the commentary. I wanted to share with you. Praising another means helping that person to maintain a beneficial, positive attitude. So the commentary goes on. Well, wait a minute. Maybe Jiva Goswami himself is biased towards the Bhagavatam. What about that? I mean, you know, he's a Vaishnav and he, he likes the Bhagavat Purana, so maybe he's quoting these particular verses from the Bhagavata Purana just because he's a he's a cheerleader for Vishnu. So he's he's misinterpreting the verses of the of the Bhagavatam to suit his purpose. Anticipating such an objection, Sri Jiva responds with a few other verses from the Bhagavatam. If you remember the specific anuccheda, which we read through it, and what were those verses? Those were verses spoken by Shiva himself, where Shiva said, "I'm the servant of Vishnu. I'm subordinate to Vishnu," and even with when when foot. When he expanded his form to take his three steps of land and his foot went up to the top of the universe and either the foot went through the universe or the foot was simply bathed by Brahma. Both, both are given by different interpretations or presentations of the, of the narration. The effect was the same. The water came down upon the earth. And what happened? Well, what what happens when you bathe the feet of the Lord? Well, in the temple every day, there's a little place and you can have some charnamrita from the bathing of the feet of the Lord. Shiva, he did take that water on his head. We sprinkle the charnamrita on our head. So he took the water from the foot bath of Vamanadev and he he sprinkled it on his head. And, of course, there was a lot of it because it was a big (laughs) foot, because Vamana (laughs) expanded himself so much so that it became a river on this planet. We call that river the Ganges. (laughs) Let's look at the... Look, this is the Bhagavatam. It's not just Jiva's bias, because we can go to Shiva himself where he admits his true position. Then we come to, to another section where the evidential part uh, is really stressed in the Bhagavatam, and that's the prayers of the personified Vedas at the end of the 10th canto. So there we find a verse spoken by the personified Vedas. In this verse, the Vedas say that it is not only the devas who do not know the limits of the Supreme Person, that even he himself does not know the extent of his own prowess or powers, because he is limitless. And also in the Brahma Samhita, Shiva himself admits his uh, subordination as a part of Bhagavan. The portion of Paramatmasandarva devoted to the Guna Avatars now concludes with a verse from the Bhagavat Purana in the following Anucheda. This brings us to the 18th Anucheda. The conclusion of this section of the Paramatmasandarva. Jiva says there, Therefore it is rightly said by Brahma, Neither I, nor Shiva, nor others, are even a portion of a single part of his full potency. Brahma-vivarta-purana. To confirm this, Balaram also said, and this is from the Bhagavatam, What is a worldly king's throne to Krishna when Brahma, Shiva and even I myself and Lakshmi are but portions of his portions who perpetually carry on our heads the dust of his lotus feet, which sanctifies even the sacred waters of pilgrimage and which the cosmic administrators of all the worlds reverentially hold upon their beautifully decorated heads. The meaning here is self-evident. Baladev had come to retrieve his nephew, but the Kauravas pridefully insulted him. This made Baladev furious and responded with words of chastisement. In this verse, Balaram clearly says that he and Lakshmi, let alone Brahma and Shiva, only portions of a portion of Krishna, Sri Jiva has chosen this particular verse with the intention of building a basis for Sri Krishna Sandarva. As far as the supremacy of Vishnu in the trinity of Guna avatars is concerned, this verse does not add much more than what has already been discussed. But it provides the additional insight that Krishna is superior even to Balaram, who is listed among the avatars of the Purusha, meaning that he too is Vishnu. This means that Krishna is beyond even Vishnu, which will be the principal theme of Sri Krishna Sandarva. So, we have discussed the Purusha avatars and we have discussed the Guna avatars in the context of the Paramatma manifestation of the Supreme Lord, which is the administrator of cosmic affairs. So after establishing the ontology of Paramatma, we're going to go into the ontology of the Jivatma, the Tathasta Shakti. So the Paramatma is the that aspect of the Supreme, is the Supreme Regulator of the cosmos. If we look at it, everything that is going on within a material cosmos, and first from a macrocosmic, all the cosmos, to the individual uh, universes, of which, from our perspective, we're in a very small universe. Uh, We've even heard that it's the smallest universe. We have a very small, limited-headed Brahma here Mm -hmm. in comparison with the other manifestations of Brahma and other universes that are so large that uh, the Brahma has to... uh, has to come out with millions and millions of heads just to, to purview everything that's uh, going on. So now we'll go to an introduction to Jiva Tattva. Uh, introduction to Jiva Tattva, Anacheda 19. And as I mentioned, this Anacheda has a very extensive commentary because we're going to be introduced to all the different schools, Indian schools of of thought, and how they view the jiva. And from that presentation, we're going to be able to more clearly understand the superiority of the explanation of jiva given here in this Anucheta. So we'll start with the Anucheta itself, which has an extensive... Explanation of the jiva, the nature of the jiva, the characteristics, and the sharup lakshana characteristics, and the tataksa lakshana, this, the extrinsic. So, the jiva, or the individual self, is counted among the attendants of paramatma. Its extrinsic characteristics, tatasta lakshana, was stated earlier in Anarcheda 1 in Srimad Bhagavatam 5 11, 12, namely that it is the conditional knower of the presentational field of its own mind body complex. The intrinsic characteristics, Surup Lakshana, of the Jiva were imparted by Sri Jamatri Muni, a very senior teacher of the Sri Vaishnav Sampradaya, in the line of Sri Ramanujacharya, who has followed the Padma Purana, where it is said in the course of explaining Pranava Om the following. So Jiva, for his definition of the characteristics of the Jiva, is first going to this statement by Jamatri Muni, from the Sri Sampradaya. The explanation follows, and this is from the Padma Purana Uttarakhanda. The letter M in Om signifies the Jiva, the witness of the presentational field of the body, Kshetrajya, who is always dependent upon and subservient to the Supreme Self, Paramatma. He is constitutionally a servant of Bhagavan Hari, only and never of anyone else. He's constitutionally a servant of Hari. Well, how is that so if he doesn't even recognize Hari? But how could he be anything but a servant of Hari, even if he's serving his own mind-body complex? Well, where'd that come from and what's that constituted of? It's constituted of the energies of the Supreme. So, there's no getting around the fact that the Jivatma is even in his state of ignorance within the material cosmic manifestation, a servant of Hari. So, we can understand it in in proper perspective that way. He is the conscious substratum endowed with the attribute of knowledge. So he's a conscious entity. He has consciousness, and he's endowed with an attribute of knowledge, although it doesn't mean he always uses that attribute. Uh, He is conscious and beyond matter. He is never born, undergoes no modification, Is of one unchanging form. That is, he has no material form. Uh, And situated in his own essential identity, Swarup. He is atomic. What's this atomic mean in this when it comes to the jiva? The smallest particle without any parts. And also, what's it say? Well, if you take the tip of the hair and cut it into a hundred parts and take one of those hundred parts and cut it again one ten thousandth the tip of a hair it doesn't mean you could actually do it it means it doesn't get smaller than that. He is atomic, the smallest particle without any parts, eternal pervasive of the body and intrinsically of the nature of consciousness and bliss. He is in the referent of the promound I, imperishable, the proprietor of the body, distinct from all other jivas and never-ending. The jiva cannot be burnt, cut, wetted or dried and is not subject to decay. He is indeed the irreducible remainder, sasha, the integrated part of the complete whole. Jiva wants to add a little bit more to everything that the Jiva is in his opening Anucheta explaining the nature of the Tathasta Shakti or the Jivatma. And these particular verses that he quotes are in a com uh, Tree, Jamitri Muni similarly instructs in four verses. The Atma is neither God, nor human, nor subhuman, nor is it an immovable <coughs> immovable being, a tree, mountain, and so on. It is not the body, nor the senses, mind, vital force, or the intellect. It is not inert, not mutable, not mere consciousness. It is consciousness of itself, and self-luminous. It is of one form, and it is situated in its own essential nature. It is conscious, pervades the body, and is intrinsically of the nature of consciousness and bliss. It is the direct referent of the pronoun I, is distinct from other individual selves. In each body, atomic, the smallest particle, without further parts, eternal and unblemished. It is intrinsically endowed with the characteristics of knowership, cognition, agency, conation, and experiential capacity. Effectivity. It can affect its nature by its own inner constitution is to be always the unitary, irreducible remainder, remainder, the integrated part of the complete whole, Paramatma. This explanation is given in accordance with the commentary of Sri Ramanuja on the Brahma Sutra. Of these characteristics, the first, that the Jiva, i.e. the Atma, is not a god, a human, or any other species of life, was implied in Tatvasandarbha. Anujaya 54. Now there was a, a footnote here that these particular additional four verses are ext they're they're extinct that they're in Jiva's Sandarbha. but he's quoting Jamatri Muni a commentary that he wrote, but that commentary is no longer available. So they did some research and tried to find them in that commentary and it's they couldn't find the commentary anywhere. So, we can see that Jiva had access to Shastra that we don't have access to or has not come to light as of yet. Um, But what's important here is why would Jiva Goswami quote these additional four supported verses written by Jamitri Muni in regards to the nature of the jiva. And what comes out is the earlier explanation that he used from the Ramanuja Sampradaya, which he found as, as the most um, comprehensive for his opening anucheda in this Paramatma Sandarbha regarding the nature of the jiva um, was these other characteristics that are mentioned, that he is endowed with the characteristics of knowership, cognition, agency, conation, and the experiential capacity, effectivity. This will come out a little bit more as we get into the commentary. It'll be capacity. He can be the agent of action. He has the capacity to act. Knowership, agency, experiential capacity. Its nature by its own inner constitution is to be always the unitary, irreducible remainder. This explanation is in given in accordance with the commentary of Sri Ramanuja on the Brahma Sutra. Of these characteristics, the first, that the Jiva is not a god, a human, or any other species of life, was implied in the Tattva Sandharva. That was from the 11th Canto, and here's the actual verse that was quoted in the Tattva Sandharva from the 11th Canto. Just as the vital force, Prawn, remains unchanged as it accompanies the individual living being, Jiva, in whichever different species it may appear, whether born from eggs, wombs, seeds, or perspiration, the Yatma is unchanging in the state of deep sleep when the senses and ego are deactivated and there is freedom from the subtle body, which is the cause of transformation. Yet upon waking... The remembrance comes to us that we slept peacefully without awareness of anything. And this indicates that in deep sleep the self is present as pure witness, devoid of the content of sensual, mental, or egoic awareness. So if we remember back to the Tatvas and this was reviewed there as to the nature of consciousness. The second characteristic that jiva, that the jiva is distinct from the body, and the senses and so on, is stated by Bhagavan Sri Krishna, again in the 11th canto, 10th chapter. The atma, which is the witness and self-aware, is distinct from the subtle and gross bodies, in the same way that fire, which burns and illumines, is different from the wood that is burnt. The reason the atma is distinct from the subtle and gross bodies is that he is their witness as well as their illuminator. But the Ama itself is self aware, swadrik, meaning that it is self luminous. And then you have Krishna who's sarvadrik, or completely the ultimate illuminator and fully conscious of everything. So that's the beginning anuchada of this section. And we will continue in our next discussion with the rather extensive commentary. And the commentary is going to bring to us many different schools of thought and how they look upon the jiva and refer back to this opening, these opening verses and say, but yes, we accept this from this, we accept that from that, but this, you can see how this philosophy just... Doesn't pan out because they don't equate the jiva as having any consciousness uh, that didn't come from just a combination of matter. He goes into many of them. It's it's uh, it's quite interesting. Thank you so much for your association.